It's uh, Thanksgiving week. It's okay. Can you hear me okay? Great. For many people, this is their absolute favorite holiday. But I also, before I start waxing about Thanksgiving tonight, I just want to shout out to all those uh, for whom this is a, a, a painful holiday. Those who maybe don't have, uh, those who may have been near and dear, uh, close to them anymore, or those who feel isolated and alone, and all those who, in the face of people enjoying their their near and dear ones, feel um, marginalized, feel just not very happy during this time of year. But nevertheless... It is both useful for those who are happy, for, in other words, happy Thanksgiving, and those who are unhappy to practice Thanksgiving, to practice giving thanks. And as we do every year, the Tuesday of Thanksgiving, whoever takes this seat usually says something about Thanksgiving, about giving thanks. Another way, another word to use is um, to feel grateful. Um, And I am, I think I'm pretty perpetually grateful. So I think I can speak of this with a lot of gusto. And I was thinking this evening as I hit the gong and I thanked you for your practice, for being here. And I feel a gratitude every week for the support of uh, your support in, for me and for each other and I it's one of those um, one of those wish fulfilling gems Sangha I'm especially thankful for Sangha as most of you know I lead retreats in very far flung places in the prairies of Saskatchewan and Alberta and Canada and Salt Spring Island and the, the odd places, beautiful places, but uh, out in the country and in, in between Houston and Austin, Texas, in all over, um, all over the place, all over the the planet. And I go to a lot of places where, even though it may be connected to an urban center where there are people who practice together, a lot of the people who come on retreats come from small towns where they have, they have no sangha. And I'd, I would say one of the most common, uh, common cries is, how can I find support? Because it's really, a, for many people, a dharma desert out there, and they need that nourish, nourishment that we can so easily take for granted. Not only can you come here to sit with other people and people who, whose... Um, view of reality whose consciousness resonates with you and so you feel you can so easily feel mirrored and validated and other people experience no validation no positive mirroring for what they value so deeply in their heart 
So because of my perspective, I am forever thankful for this very precious opportunity, this very rare and precious opportunity. And I think of the places in the world where it's not safe to meet like this, where even to bring in the name Buddha, you would be considered blasphemous. Uh, to even in our own country, there are places where we would be treated like crazies. And maybe we are. <laughs> but we know better. And I don't say this with, with any notion that we are special. I do know that we have a special opportunity to meet and to, uh, to speak about love and speak about connection and to declare even in the midst of the, the collective trance of just endless problems, and there are endless problems. But in the midst of that, to speak of a possibility of, of well-being that doesn't depend on circumstances. That's just not something you hear too many places. So I'm grateful f- for, to have people to listen to me. <laughs> have people listen to, to my love, to what I love to think about and talk about. And so I'm forever grateful for Sangha and grateful for the, the um, act of, as I mentioned last week, the act of generosity in showing up here. The, how many of you sh- show up and offer your, your support to uh, each other. So that's one that's so obvious and so immediate, just that gratitude. And I noticed that every week that I give thanks, I think it became a habit, give thanks for you sitting, became a habit because it feels really good to be thankful, it's to think of something that I'm thankful for. In fact, today, perhaps because it was Thanksgiving, I read an article about gratitude and how it's not just good, it's really good for your health. I wrote down a few of the little snippets, if I can find them. a professor from the University of Miami who did a lot of research on gratitude says when you're stopping and counting your blessings you are hijacking your emotional system which means you're hijacking whatever funk you may be in uh, toward a a more uh, wholesome or good place and it's a very potent emotion we know this that feeds on itself and it gives that feeling almost the feeling of being victorious if you, if you practice it. It is, it is one of those connectable feelings. It connects us with life. In fact, the research says that the best way to start uh, the practice of gratitude and they, they have all kinds of methodology in generating practice of gratitude or thanksgiving, the best way to start is with, uh, thank, uh, with giving thanks to people, to actual people in your life or groups of people in your life because that's, that's the, the surest recipe to give that feeling of connection that I think most of us long for uh, so intensely, to feel a sense of connection. 
Yes. Said that people, the research shows that people who are grateful, people you are grateful for, uh, bring, if you practice gratitude for people, you are more alert, you are more alive, more interested, enthusiastic, feel more connected to others. And it serves, according to the research, as a, a huge buffer for suffering. It protects us from the tendency toward envy, anger, resentment, regret, and other unpleasant states. It has a very, very positive physiological impact. It brings ease of being and calm. It appeared on uh, the national news. I think I may have seen it on Google or Yahoo. It's basically what I said with a lot more detail. So gratitude is a very beautiful thing. In fact, the Buddha said that the the two most rare beings in this world are those who benefit others, that was one, and those who feel gratitude. And I guess that says that we tend to forget to feel grateful. Yet the teachings remind us that we are, and perhaps you've sensed this if you've been engaging in the 100-day retreat, some version of it, and I know some people during that 100 days are doing daily gratitude practice, but you've seen, if you're practicing regularly, that our hearts and minds can be turned. They are trainable. That we have this very potent creative uh, possibility, this creative capacity. And one of the things that uh, it's useful not just to save it for November 20-something, but every day to practice gratitude. And while we're at it, I suggest for those of you who haven't ever done this before, to have a gratitude buddy, just like you're having a buddy for your 100-day retreat. Have a gratitude buddy, somebody you just say something you're grateful for, even if it's that person there for, to receive your, your gratitude. So I'd like to say a little bit more of what I'm grateful for tonight, and maybe this will resonate with you. And it has to do with, especially with gratitude for uh, what I've learned through the Dharma, through practice. Our lives can, as you can see, our lives are, I was born through no fault of my own, into a family of relatively conscious people, progressive thinkers, altruistic, uh, from an oppressed minority, somewhat oppressed. Uh, My grandmother came to this country as a survivor of the pogroms in, in Russia where her village was burned to the ground. She basically escaped with no, got out of Russia during the Bolshevik Revolution with, with no 
money in her pocket, didn't speak a word of English. She got a hold of a bottle of schnapps or something and bribed a border guard and then hopped on a peanut boat from the Vladivostok. Somehow ended up in mid-America. She was supported. This is where the interdependence comes in. She was supported by the the Jewish family services or something who placed her and eventually her family in a Midwestern city, Omaha, Nebraska, that was very open-hearted and open-armed. And she didn't forget where she came from and devoted her life, besides being a kind of entrepreneur, devoted her life to basically giving everything that she earned to benefit others. Gave hundreds of people their first job. Would She sold furniture and she... She would often allow people to take home a house full of furniture and pay when they were able to. And she, whenever there was a, because she was successful in her little business, which grew into a larger business, because she was successful, she um, was able, she had developed some resources. And whenever there was a natural disaster, like a tornado or floods, she would, and there was a Red Cross sale, she would buy the whole sale so that people would have the needs, their needs met. Uh, usually Red Cross, she, she was a good supporter of the Red Cross. But I tell you not to brag about my grandmother, although that's really fun, but to see how involuntarily I fell into a, a family with an, with an altruistic with a, that quality of uh, that kind of bodhi, bodhicitta, that do what you do, awaken your life, improve your life for the benefit of others. And I didn't ask for that. That's, that's just something that was laid in my lap. And I didn't even appreciate it until you know, long, long after. So I'm really grateful for those unbidden unbid unbidden causes and conditions and my life could have turned out any which way but it it somehow pointed whatever the causes and conditions were in my life it brought me to the teachings of the dharma the teachings of the buddha the teachings of awakening this very practical accessible non-sectarian uh, uh, um, verifiable that it brought me to a teaching that does not ask me to adopt any beliefs or any views but ask me to see for myself what's actually happening what's going on what in my life causes me suffering and what brings a sense of well-being I feel very blessed to be uh, somehow exposed to such a such an intelligent teaching that I don't have to believe. Now I, I contrast that with with so many so many of us, even in this room, who were who were oppressed by the, the almost force-fed religion force-fed spiritual teachings that were, we were expected to adopt hook, line, and sinker without 
supposed to have faith, supposed to have, in fact, blind faith. And, of course, all of you who may have been children of fundamentalists or forced to, forced to, um, to break out of the prison of whatever calcified belief system you may have come, you maybe even feel grateful for that because it, maybe the suffering of that became the cause of, of your awakening. You can be grateful for everything. And that, to me, the beauty of the Dharma is that everything... You see that dukkha is the... Dukkha or suffering or pain is the spring... is an amazing springboard to nirvana. It is the... And I'm grateful for all the places in my life. I'm grateful for nervous breakdowns. They're a great change agent. Grateful for existential angst, grateful for not knowing, grateful for confusion that led to a kind of search. All of that, dukkha such a, has been such a springboard to my own sense of, of awakening. But I'm very happy to have been exposed to the teachings in a place where they are available, in a place where we are free to gather, as I mentioned before, in a place where there were really, really skilled teachers who spoke, who speak in my own language. That's always a good thing. And just the preciousness of all the opportunities that, that I've been given to practice the Dharma. Grateful for the insight, knowledge that inevitably comes in practice that may seem so obvious intellectually but somehow it doesn't often penetrate our heart until we practice. It's the understanding of impermanence. As we speak a lot here on Tuesday night the, the, about the Wiley's Dictionary definition of birth, the leading cause of death. That whatever arises, the famous teaching that's repeated over and over in monasteries throughout the world, that becomes a living understanding. The teaching that says all conditions, things that have the nature to arise, have the nature to pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings relief, brings happiness. It's chanted like this every day in Pali. Literally thousands of years of people chanting the same thing. It goes, Anicca vada sankara upadua yadamino upakitua niruchanti desang bupasamo suko. All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. But to experience that intimately, knowing that everything that I hold near and dear, I will eventually have to let go of. Every experience that I have slips through my fingers. Every, life is like, is like quicksand. And the more I realize this, have contemplated this over the years, the more it becomes the cause of that relief, that letting go. 
If I was not, if I remained under the hypnotic trance of the fundamental delusion of permanence, thinking that there's either some experience that will be lasting, some thing that will last, some relationship that will last, under that illusion, I just keep sowing the seeds of suffering, and I keep, I, it keeps me on that, that samsaric loop, that endless wandering, that endless looking for something that is lasting. But when I release that tight fist of grasping at that next experience, space is there, open, inviting, a sense of freedom. So letting the fact that impermanence has been such a... Uh, I've kind of let that into my heart. And we're all forced into it eventually through having to deal, having to grieve over and over again. But we can... I'm just grateful for, for being able to do that every day in some way. To grieve. Just let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. You know the words of of uh, Ajahn Chah where he says do everything in your life with a mind that lets go if you let go a little you'll have a little peace if you let go a lot you'll have a lot of peace and if you let go completely you'll have complete, free, complete peace and freedom your struggles with the world will come to an end and holding on is generally caused by uh, thinking that things can be kept the same. They can be some kind of delusion of permanence. Some kind of delusion of that there is an experience that can give lasting satisfaction. But there's a great uh, passage from this cave that, where somebody practiced in Thailand where his parting words as his body became ill and he was and he faded off into de- into death he got dungi dungi fever or something a tropical fever and he died but he inscribed on the walls of the cave in this little island called kopangan in thailand he inscribed on the walls of the cave oh what a joy to know there is no happiness in this world he didn't mean happiness he meant lasting happiness he meant anything that you could cling to as me, as mine, as I. So while we're on the topic of me and mine, I'm so grateful to see the difference between the direct experience of myself and the direct experience of others. That immediate felt experience with myself and others. The difference between that and the, and the version of myself and the version of others that play through their mind and the version of myself that plays through mine. I am so grateful to know that that version that plays in my mind is an utter distortion, is an approximation, is often a lie, insulting, not true. can never capture my essence, your essence, your deepest nature, your Buddha nature. I can't, I think maybe I'm most grateful, 
one of the things I'm most grateful for is I know that I'm not what I think. And that being a little bit comfortable, I'm grateful for the comfort that I have in the moments that I'm free of any idea of myself. That wonderful sutra, the Avatamsaka Sutra, says having no view of self, one is always peaceful. I've realized that peace when I'm not in, in, under any view of myself. I don't have any view. So be, I don't feel as reliant anymore on having a story about myself going perpetually. Often we feel if I gave up my story, if I gave up my thoughts of myself, somehow I would disappear into the void. I would be annihilated. But in fact, I realize, and perhaps you realize in those moments when you are free of an idea of self, that, you, that life just becomes more alive and vivid, more sufficient enough. And you didn't add anything to your life. All you did was remove the distorted view that there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with this moment. There's something wrong with your life. There's something, you know, it's the, that's the story of self, is the story of dukkha, story of problems. Dukkha arises when someone is born into these ideas, and it ends in the very moment those ideas end. There's peace, comfort, ever available. I'm really grateful for that. I always think of the line of, that's attributed to James J. Audubon at these times where he says if there's a difference between the bird and what the field guide book says, believe the bird. So please believe your immediate experience, not the filtered second-hand version that plays in your mind. There is a place for wise thought. There is even a place to sometimes trust our thoughts, but I think we must know first. First things first, must know what we are, what our direct experience is, what the direct simplicity of our experience is prior to thought. Otherwise, we, we never see beyond the, the, um, the egoic version of ourselves. And it, once you've seen beyond the egoic version of yourself, then you can actually enjoy your story. You can work with your story. You can embellish it. You can diminish it, whatever you want. But you see that a story, a thought of yourself is not yourself. Thought of your mother is not your mother. My teacher, Munindraji, said. That may even be harder to get. I found that when I first heard that very relieving. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> A thought of my mother is not my mother. But I'm very happy that I can think about my mother. So this is not to get rid of thoughts, but it's to allow them to find their proper place. And I'm thankful that I feel like I have that organized a little better. I'm a little less confused about, about my thoughts after after 58 years of delusion. <laughs>
I'm thankful for, and I think I said this before, I'm thankful for the miracle of, of consciousness that is so malleable, even though our conditioning is very entrenched and so dependent on non-personal circumstances. So many of the things that I am and my tendencies were set in motion long before I knew what, what was going on. And, but all of it points to or reflects the fact that we are a continual creative process and that, that we are, as I said before, we are, teach, we are trainable, we are changeable, we, are, we, we can really turn our lives toward a sense of wholeness and well-being. We are not just stuck we are definitely the heirs of, of karma, of our actions, of body, speech, and mind, heirs of things that are of no fault of ours. But we are responsible for this mind and body as we appear individually. And the good news is we can, we can become quite uh, skillful at managing this responsibility of working with our hearts and minds and not adding to the burden of suffering for ourselves or other beings. And one of the ways that we do that, of course, is to practice thanksgiving, practice gratitude every day. But also practicing, uh, practicing uh, the realization that our actions do, practicing the reflection, and I'm really thankful for this reflection, that my actions have consequences. What I think about every day, what I say every day, and what I do every day produces results. This is what develops. This is the creative seed that's planted that produces my future life. As Padmasambhava put it, if you want to understand your past, look at your present experience. If you want to understand your future, look at your present actions. You want to continually consider what seeds you're planting. I'm thankful for that reflection on karma that reminds me that uh, I don't get away with anything on one hand. It's not, I don't mean that in a fear-based way. It just, just wakes me up. And knowing that I, that if, just from experience, that when I plant seeds of goodwill, I, I end up getting along a little better. When I plant seeds of gratitude, I get all those benefits. More alertness, more alive, more interested, more enthusiastic, feel more connected to others. I think that's true. I would be a good person in that study. I think many people here would be, would follow that as well. So reflecting every day on karma has been very useful. Not getting into the deterministic parts of karma that nobody could ever verify. If you do this, you'll get this result. I have no clue. But I can tell that inclining my heart toward being awake, toward being kind, toward being available, altruistic, all of that has, over time, produced results. So it's given me some confidence in the lawfulness of karma and I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful in the teachings for such a clear, clear reminder of 
what's called in the Tibetan tradition, uh, it's the fourth mind-changing reflection, the fourth reminder that people are encouraged to contemplate. But the clear reminder of the what's called the defects of samsara. The defects of the the inherent stressfulness of our lives and the defects of continually thinking that it should be otherwise. That every one of us has to deal with with the 83 problems. You remember the story of the 83 problems. We all have 83 problems. Some go away and others come back. There's not much we can do about the 83 problems. And, but the, and the Buddha said in one of the stories, it's a made-up story, he says, I can't do anything about the 83 problems, but I can do something about the 84th problem. And, the, and the, you wonder what's the 84th problem? The 84th problem is we don't think we should have any problems. And reflecting on the defects of samsara, our life by virtue of of its changing nature, its unreliable nature, the inevitability of sickness, the inevitability of aging, the inevitability of, of dying, the ev- inevitability of at some point in the span of your life not getting everything you want, and the inevitability of not wanting everything that you get. It's defective. But there's a perfection in that defectiveness because it requires us to dig deeper to find a sense of well-being. It's, the teaching is to find a well-being that doesn't depend on things being pleasant all the time. And to stop thinking that the unpleasant is a problem. It's not always a signal of a problem. It's just unpleasant. If I took a survey of anyone in this room everyone in this room and ask, do you ever, is anyone's life free of the unpleasant? Is anyone's life here always pleasant? But isn't it true that we devote a tremendous amount of time trying to keep pleasant constant and unpleasant away? It's a natural thing out of love for ourselves, but it only creates... And this is what reflecting on the defects of samsara. Samsara is also the, the habits that we get in looking for only pleasant and avoiding the unpleasant. Even though it's a natural urge to want to have more pleasant, less unpleasant, it sets us up for a very conditional happiness. It sets us up for more hunger, more dissatisfaction, more thirst, more confusion because the pleasant ultimately gives way to the unpleasant, the unpleasant to the pleasant, and our life moves between these two. And if you don't have both, as Rumi put it, you're not one of us. He says, the cure for pain is in the pain. Good and bad are mixed. If you don't have both, you're not one of us. So reflecting, I'm so thankful to see as Hafiz puts it, to recognize the counterfeit coins that may... Let's see if I have it with me. Recognize the counterfeit coins that may buy you just a moment of pleasure, but then drag you for days like a broken man behind a farting camel. 
for, for, for all of these reasons, I'm really thankful. I'm also thankful, perhaps more than anything, for my true home. And when I say my true home, I, I consider my true home to be in, um, in awareness. It's where I put my trust in that capacity to be awake in the midst of it all. And knowing that that is the only reliable refuge, it's that which follows me through the pleasant and the unpleasant, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, the impartial knower, impartial knowing that is available, that meets every experience. When I take that seat as sometimes called the one seat. When I take that seat, I, everything, when I make that my refuge, everything that I go through is much more workable, much more manageable. And I'm completely grateful for that, that home and awareness. Consider it my true home. And it turns out that the more I hang out, the more you hang out in simple awareness, that 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 awareness is so rich. It is not just this bare knowing. It is filled with intelligence and comprehension, and it makes possible when there is openness, when there is that connection with reality. It makes possible... The, the expression of all the, the heart qualities that flow from, from, uh, from awareness. The heart qualities of love, the heart when, when just a simple connection, just simple look into someone's eyes. And I'm really there. I can't help but feel affection, love. And when I look into the eyes of someone who is in sorrow or suffering or see the world and its difficulties, when that awareness meets that, it's that quivering of the heart. It's that movement of the heart and compassion. And when, I'm, when the, that same wakefulness lights on joy, if it's unobscured for a moment by envy and jealousy, it naturally awakens the the heart quality of, of altruistic or sympathetic joy. It just comes from that. Without awareness, when I live in confusion, when I live in the appearance of things in my mind, I, I don't... Uh, I don't um, those, those heart qualities don't express themselves so much. So I'm so thankful for that, all that flows from awareness. And finally... the the intelligence that comes from awareness that sees impermanence, that sees that clinging brings suffering, that sees that letting go brings freedom, that sees that things are, are the way they are in this world no matter whether I like them or not, and that sees that and allows for a, a, um, an, e- an evenness, a balance, a, a, a reduction of the reactivity in my mind. And, and if nothing more, an, an, evenness, uh, an evenness or being less reactive about my conditioned reactions. 
Even if I'm getting pissed off about things. I just, I don't know how many of you listen to progressive talk radio. I'm, I'm outing myself tonight. But the, the uh, one of the, wow, I've really gone on. The, one of the, the substitutes for Norman Goldman is a guy that's, uh, that runs a radio program called Mad as Hell. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> At least he's got a sense of humor, you know. He says, I'm mad as hell. It's like from the network. Remember that film? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. See, even that, if we, if we just recognize our, our anger rather than acting out of it, and when we're aware, we see this, and we can actually smile at our own craziness, at our own ill will, our own greed, our own lust, our own comparing mind. We can work with all of it, with that home, that seat of awareness. Finally, we just have a few minutes left. I'm very thankful, in spite of its unreliability, in spite of its... Uh, inevitable demise, I am very thankful for this, as the Buddha put it, this fathom-long body with its perceptions and inner sense. Because without this body, any of our bodies, there is no world. As the Buddha put it, within this fathom-long body with its perceptions and inner sense lies the world. It's the only way we know the world is through these di different doors of perception. Lies the world, lies the cause of the world. Whatever our mind tends to do with that world that we find, lies the end of the world. It's through this body that we can come to the end of suffering. And lies the path. Without this body, without, this, without the sensual, the senses, we wouldn't, and the pleasures of the senses, we wouldn't be able to... to uh, withstand the pain of life. So the senses are both, they're a mixed bag, they're pleasure and pain, and yet they're, they give our life, the, the sensual world gives our lives a lot of meaning, a lot of that sense of connection. If it wasn't for this body, I couldn't connect with you. There would not be a voice to transmit the love that any of us shares with each other. So this body, this breath, thank you, thanks for this life breath. I was appreciating it a lot tonight on Thanksgiving or the instruction of the, one of the famous suttas of the Buddha called the Anapanasati Sutta, the sutta on the, on the um, development of mindful attention to the breath. So grateful for that. Grateful for that, for this life breath that is such a marvelous anchor, such a marvelous tool for bringing mind and body together, for bringing harmony, for bringing balance, for being able to withstand difficult situations. If I find my body and find my breath and I don't leave my body, it's amazing how fortified I am and how I'm sure many of you have found the, the breath as such a great resource. Breathing through things, breathing with things, uh, just to be able to find our breath. It's just, <sighs> thank you, breath. So I think I'll leave it at that. And I'll leave you also with 
my favorite quote about gratitude that points to the, the, the deepest dharma of what we, the sense of sufficiency and enoughness that we can feel in, in the bare simplicity, in the just feeling our life before we topple forward or look back and just feel life in its immediacy. The words of Thoreau, who I heard a great story, but we don't have time to tell. Maybe I'll tell it next week. I heard a great story about Thoreau. But he said this. Uh, this is his gratitude prayer. I'm grateful for what I am and what I have. My thanksgiving is perpetual. It's surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, only a sense of existence. Oh, how I laugh at my vague, indefinite riches, for no, mu- no run on my bank can drain it, for my wealth is not possession, but enjoyment of being. Let's just appreciate our lives, our breath, our body, existence, and share any of the blessings of our practice, anything we're grateful for, share all the benefits of our lives right now in this moment with all beings everywhere, in all kinds of circumstances, those who also are grateful, those who have a difficult time right now feeling grateful, those who have those they can share a meal with, those near and dear, and those who can't. Let the blessings of our life and our practice be spread to all beings everywhere with a deep wish that all beings can find happiness and peace and the causes of happiness and peace increasing in their lives that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, that all beings can recognize the sacred happiness that is free of sorrow here and now, and a deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the inevitable joys and sorrows with that impartial, grandmotherly-like love and balance. And finally, may our life, our practice, today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be free. I didn't give you a chance to talk about what you're grateful for. I'd love to hear about it sometime. Maybe next week we'll do a download. In the meantime, just a reminder of our, I'm very grateful for any support for the room rental, $150 a week, and I think most of you know all the routines and the ways that you can offer that, and and also grateful for any of the support that you provide for me and whoever takes this seat in the form of teacher, Donna, It's the way the teachings have been able to be sustained over 2,500 years. So thanks for your generosity and 
Um, let's see, just a couple announcements. One, just a reminder that I have a, a couple retreats coming up the 13th to the 18th of December at Spirit Rock, uh, that, the December retreat with Mary Grace Orr. It's a wonderful time of year to sit and practice gratitude through the form of you know, practicing insight meditation. Then I have another one January 17th to the 22nd at Spirit Rock. So come one, come all. And anyone else need to make quick... I know there were a couple announcements, but I can't remember, I guess. Anyway, thanks for your practice. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.